This morning we have two scripture readings, one from Exodus and one from the Gospel of John. From Exodus, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. But Moses said to God, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you. They are going to ask me, What's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. From the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 56 through 58. Your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. He saw it and was happy. You aren't even 50 years old, the Jewish opposition replied. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? I assure you, Jesus replied, before Abraham was, I am. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All through the night, I'm going to let it shine. All through the night, I'm going to let it shine. All through the night, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You guys sounded great this morning. Praise the Lord, that was fantastic. Well done. By the time we walk from this place today, here is my challenge. I want you to know that the light of the world lives in you. Moses wasn't, he wasn't doing anything special. He was just minding his own business. He was sheep sitting, in fact, for his father-in-law Jethro. And all of a sudden, he sees a light off in the distance. And upon further investigation, he discovers that there's this bush and it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And to make that which is curious, increasingly curious, the bush started to talk to him. And it said, Moses, I have seen the suffering of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries. And Moses, I want you to go and set my people free. Now, something I think is interesting about this story. If you've read the book of Exodus, you know that Moses protests here. And he says, essentially... God, you're asking me to be your voice, but I have a speech impediment. I love that about God. All throughout the story of Scripture, all throughout the world, our God has this tendency, this proclivity, this passion for using the people we would never expect to change the world. People, coincidentally, just like you and me. So God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, all right, well, um, if you want me to go to the most powerful man in the world and tell him 
to let go of his source of free labor. If I walk in there and I tell him that a tree told me to tell him this, he's probably going to kill me. And before we judge Moses, can we just agree, if a tree ever tells you to do something, ask some questions, will you? Right? It was okay that he asked some questions. So Moses says, you want me to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, you want me to tell him to let go of a source of free labor? Well, at least tell me your name. Now that's an interesting question. Because I think there's more going on here than maybe we see is going on here. You see, in the salvation story so far, all throughout Scripture, what we've seen up to this point in Scripture is that people's names are more than just their names. Their names tell their story. And if you understand somebody's name, you understand their story. Like Adam, in Hebrew, you can't see it in English, but in Hebrew, the Adam, the Adam, the man, comes from the Adamah. The dust of the earth. In Genesis chapter 3, God says to Adam, Adam, man, who came from the Adamah, to the Adamah you shall return. So if you know Adam's name, if you know what his name means, you know a critical element of his story. That our God can make beautiful things from the dust of the earth. That's Adam's story. He was made from the dust of the earth. His wife Eve, her name means life because she was the first to give life. To another human being. Abram means father of one, but he becomes Abraham, the father of a multitude. His wife, Sarah, her name means princess because issuing forth from her line will be a number of kings, including the king of kings. Their son's name is Isaac. Isaac means laughter because when Sarah heard she was going to be pregnant at the age of 90, she laughed. We talked about Isaac's son Jacob before, how he wrestles with God and gets a new name, Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. His son Joseph, his name means may God grant you increase, and that's exactly what happens. He gets sold into Egypt, into slavery in Egypt, and he becomes the second most powerful man in the world. Moses, his very name means to be plucked forth from the water, reminding us of the story in which he was saved from the water. Names weren't just names. They told people's story. If you understood a name, you understood the person. So Moses says to God, help me understand who you are. And God says, that is not going to happen. Moses, you can never, you can never hope to understand fully what I am. So just rest in the knowledge of knowing that I am. That's what God says. God says, I am. Moses wants to know his entire story. God says, you can't know my entire story. Just know that I am. One of the things I love about this is that, essentially, if you, if you really, really look at it this way, Moses is trying to put God in a box. And we all do this with all kinds of things. When we, when we get to know somebody, when we get to know something, we want to put it in its appropriate location. We want to define its borders. We want to know what something is. Moses tries to put God in a box. God says, you can't put me in a box. I'm the box that everything else happens in. I am. What's the importance of that phrase, by the way, I am? It is an important phrase, I am. And we could, we could say that, that what God is saying to Moses is just that I am, meaning that I exist. But I think there's something else going on here. I think what God is actually saying to Moses is not that God exists. I think what God is saying to Moses is, Moses, I am existence itself. 
That's a powerful thing to say. But it's true. I am existence itself. It's not just that I exist. I am existence. And because I exist, you exist. And if I didn't exist, you wouldn't exist. And I hope that sounds familiar with you to you. Because the last two weeks we've talked about it in John chapter 1. All things came into being through him. And without him, nothing came into being. What John says is the same thing God says in Acts chapter 3. God is existence itself. So when God says to Abraham, when God says to, to Moses, I am what God is not, God's not just saying I exist. God is saying I am existence. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the John chapter 8 story that we heard this morning. John chapter 8, 54 through 56. In that story, no, let's go back. Uh, go back. This, that, we'll, we'll come to that. Yeah, there we go. That's great. Uh, John, John chapter 8, 54 and 56. Uh, we read it this morning and, and in it Jesus is having a conversation with some Pharisees and he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and they said, wait a minute, you're not even 50 yet. Now, let me tell you a story. Uh, I'm 39 and I recently had somebody ask me what year in the 1950s I was born. <laughs> So I, I'm, I'm, I celebrate that Jesus probably looked older than he was too. Maybe it's a function of being holy. What do you think? <laughs> so they say to Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. How could you possibly have connected with Abraham who's been dead for well over a thousand years? And Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And it wasn't just that Jesus was saying, I'm older than Abraham. Jesus was continuing this line. God is existence itself. And the only reason that Abraham even existed is because Christ existed. All things came into being through him. Without him, nothing came into being. I think it's also important to note, just like Moses, the Pharisees tried to put God in a box, didn't they? You're not old enough. They tried to put him in a temporal box of space and time. But you can't put the God... The I am, the existence in a box, you can't do it. Jesus says this phrase, I am, over and over again in the Gospel of John. In fact, there are seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, and I am the resurrection and the life. And then there's one more, and I want to focus on this one, because the first thing God ever called into being... The first thing that ever happened in Genesis, God said, let there be light. And earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, what we learned so far about this phrase, I am, is that it's not just Jesus stating his own existence. Jesus is saying, I am existence itself. I am life, right? So if you look at this, I'm life, I am existence itself, and if you live in my light, you will have life too. And the implication is, if we do not live in the light of Christ, what we have is not real life. Jesus says it differently in John chapter 11. You may recall we talked about this a few months ago. You remember the story where Lazarus has died, and Jesus is walking towards Bethany, and Mary runs out to meet him? And she says to Jesus, if only you had been here, the one that we love, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother's going to live again. And Martha says, I know he'll live again on the last day. Like the resurrection was some consolation prize. And Jesus says to her, Martha, you don't know anything. 
Because you still think that life is about the air in your lungs and the blood in your veins and the heart that beats in your chest. And I'm telling you, that's just details. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me, though they were dead, they shall live. And he that lives and believes in me will never truly die. Jesus says the same thing here. He says life isn't about our pulse. It's not a biological reality. That's just details. Jesus says, I am existence itself. And if you really want to exist, you will do so in my light. Let me further illustrate this, because this is really cool. John chapter 7 tells us that in John chapter 8, the context for this statement of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, takes place during the festival of booths. And the festival of booths is sometimes called the festival of tabernacles, and sometimes it's called the festival of succoth. And I always thought that sounded like an insult. You're the festival of succoth, right? But it's not. It's just the place where it took, took place. So, so don't call anybody the festival of succoth. It's not an insult. So it's near the festival of booths that Jesus says this, and and see, the Festival of the Booths was a commemoration of the time in which God had led God's people out of Egypt. And they were wandering in the wilderness. And to this day, the people who, uh, who celebrate the Festival of Booths, it's still celebrated in Jewish communities today, today they'll still set up tents during the Festival of Booths to remind themselves that there was a time when they were pilgrims where they lived in tents or booths, which is why it's called the Festival Booths. And so, uh, there was another element of the story as well that they commemorate during the Festival of Booths. You see, when God was leading God's people through uh, the wilderness, God led them through a theophany. God was a pillar of smoke by day or cloud, and God was a pillar of fire and light by night. And so, in Jesus' day, during the festival of booths, in the temple court, the Pharisees would, the, the, the priests, they would set up these 75 foot tall, um, rods, stone pillars. This is a, a re, a recreation of it. And this is the women's court of the temple. And those, those towers that you can see there, those are, they're 75, between 75 and 86 feet tall. They're really, really tall. And they would put these golden bowls on top of them. And every night during the festival of booths, they would fill the bowls with oil and they would light the bowl on fire. And there were four of these, almost menorah looking things, 75, 86 feet tall. Extra canonical sources tell us that during the festival of booths, these four lamps that were lit in the temple courts lit every courtyard in all of Jerusalem. That's how much light they produced. And the Bible tells us in the context of this, as the people are remembering the time that God led them as light in darkness. It's in the context of this backlit by these lights that are burning across Jerusalem, John tells us. Jesus turns to his disciples and with these lights burning behind him, the lights commemorating the God who led them as a pillar of fire. Jesus looks at his people and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the one who leads you in your darkness. I am the one who helps you to know what real life is. I am the light of the world. And if you walk in my light, you will live. You will truly, truly live. God says, I am existence itself. 
And if you walk in the light of my life, you will truly live too. But that's not all there is to know about light, church. Story is told by a missionary who was a missionary in Ukraine. uh, In uh, a village, it was a town where the apartment buildings were built so close together that the distance between buildings was like the size of our little row here. And so there were times during the year, particularly in winter months, where whole portions of buildings wouldn't experience any light. And one day, this missionary is walking down the street and he sees a little boy standing on a street corner holding a mirror. And the boy is angling the mirror to catch the sunlight and send it into a window in one of the buildings. And the missionary thinks the little boy is just being a punk. So he walks up to him and he says, what are you doing? And the little boy says, well, you know, about three years ago, um, my brother had an accident and now he can't, he can't leave his bedroom. He's bedridden. And during these months of the year, the sun never touches our windows. So for an hour a day, every winter, I come down here and I, I reflect the light into his room because it's just dark in there. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus changes things. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill, it can't be hidden. And you don't light a candle and put it in a box. He says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and bring glory to your Father in heaven. And so often we focus on the second half of this passage. Let your light so shine they see your good deeds and bring glory to your Father in heaven. And it causes us to forget the first half of the passage in which Jesus says to us exactly what we are. He says, you are the light of the world. Why? Because we reflect Christ into darkness. He says, you are the light of the world. And you know the thing about this? Light doesn't have to try to be light. It just is. And what Jesus says about you and me is that if Christ lives in us, we are the light of the world. He doesn't say we have to try to be the light of the world. We don't have to work really, really hard to be the light of the world. We just are the light of the world. All we have to worry about is making sure we don't put our light in a box. Moses tried to put it, God in a box. The Pharisees tried to put God in a box. Sometimes I feel like I try to put God in a box. How about you? And I'm not talking about sin here. I'm talking about limitation. I'm talking about the fact that there's a big, big God who lives inside of us and yet Christians are so often content to dream tiny little dreams. To illustrate this, I need to tell you that when I was in college, I owned a Chevrolet Cavalier. It had a four-cylinder engine in it, which is roughly the same size engine that runs your lawnmower. And I drove it like it was a Chevy Cavalier because there's only so much juice you can get out of a four-cylinder engine. But when I was in the Air Force, Rob got a Mustang. Eight cylinders. And I drove it like it was a Mustang. Some of you have looked at me and you say, how does that chubby preacher, how, how did he get that brilliant, beautiful wife to marry him? I had a Mustang. (laughs) It was convertible. It was awesome. 
then we had kids, and apparently you can't, whatever. So, and I'm not joking people who drive Cavaliers either, right? I just feel like most people who drive a Cavalier wish they were driving a Mustang, don't you think so? And you say, what in the world does this have to do with anything we're talking about? Here's what it has to do with it. I fear that a lot of times Christians, and I'm talking to me just like you, by the way, live our lives like we're powered by these little lawnmower engines. When the real truth is that the one who called light out of darkness and life forth from death, the very light of the world is the source of energy and power and dynamism that lives inside of you and me. Moses tries to put God in a box. The Pharisees try to put God in a box. Sometimes I try to put God in a box, and maybe you do too. And we forget this, that God will not be contained. We don't light a light and put it in a box. The light of the world lives inside of you and me. All throughout my life, I've been fascinated by the story of Mary. We're going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, next month during our Advent series. Some, because that's what you do during Advent. You talk about Mary and Joseph and the Holy Family. And we often talk about her anxiety, and I'm sure that there was some anxiety because she was a relatively young woman in a relatively complicated social environment who has a child that is not the offspring of the man to whom she is engaged. We talk about her anxiety and how hard it must have been for her But don't you think there were moments where Mary laid awake at night in her bed? Moments when she's on the journey down towards Jerusalem to give birth. Where Mary had to be transfixed by the fact that the one who is saving the world lived inside of her. See, throughout history, theologians have a special title for Mary. They call her the Theotokos. Theos meaning God, tokos meaning bearer. The one who changed the world, the one who was going to save the earth, lived inside Mary. It must have been a remarkable feeling, but here's the truth. The one who saves the world lives in you too. You are the light of the world. And when people encounter the light that we have, they want something different. They want to experience that light for themselves. That doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. We will not be. What I'm trying to say is this. The source of all creation, existence itself, the light of the world lives in you and me. Let's live like it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. There's something inside of you. There's something inside of you that is great. Great. It is too great to be contained in your person. It is too great to be contained in our families. It is too great to be contained in this church. The light of the world, the God of existence, is in you. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before the earth that they see your good deeds and bring glory to your Father in heaven.